All right, well, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is BJ, and I'm part of the uh, pastoral team here. And it's also my privilege to uh, bring you the message this morning from God's Word. And uh, so this morning, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8. We'll be starting in Acts chapter 8. And so uh, if you want to turn there uh, with me, if you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to grab one from the pew rack in front of you. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, please take that one home. We would be glad for you to have that. Well, uh, the page numbers, like I said, are going to be up here on the screen. And so as you're turning to uh, Acts chapter 8, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to set up the story for us this morning. Imagine this scene with me. A, a family uh, during the first century AD living in Jerusalem, a family is sitting down uh, around the, uh, the dinner table uh, getting ready to share a meal together. Now, two or three months earlier, uh, the family had, uh, had been at a gathering there in the city, the parents, And they had heard for the first time the good news that Jesus came and lived and died so that they might be made in a right relationship with God. And so the parents were cut to heart and they they, they took that message into their lives and they decided to begin following Jesus. And so uh, the mom and dad eagerly returned home so that they might be able to tell the, the kids at home this good news. And from that day forward, this family's life changed. There was so much excitement and, and so much energy as the family shared this good news with, with other friends and, and relatives and, and neighbors. In fact, uh, the father of the family had even uh, begun uh, to teach people in his home. There was, there was a gathering every week uh, as, as they shared this good news with others. And as more and more and more people came to know and trust uh, Jesus. Well, now the family's sitting down uh, to share this meal together. And, and as they begin to talk about the events of the day, they hear a loud pound at the door. The family's startled. They wonder what's going on. So the father gets up and goes to the door. And as he opens it, he is immediately pulled out the door, thrown on the ground, and men begin to kick him. There's loud noises and, 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 and yelling, and, and the family doesn't know what's going on. And soon the men enter the house. The mother stands up to protect her children, but she also is thrown to the ground. And then one of the men reaches down and grabs her by her hair and drags her out into the street. The children huddle in the corner, crying, powerless to stop what they've just seen. And the man behind this senseless attack is a man named Saul. We read about Saul in the Bible. In Acts chapter 7, we read that Saul organized a group attack on a Christian leader named Stephen. We read that Stephen was was drugged out of the city and killed. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Well, picking up the story in in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1, we continue to read. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So we see that families who were following Jesus were forced to flee for their lives and and get out of the city. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Now, you might be thinking, that's kind of a discouraging way to start a sermon, isn't it? We'll be encouraged by this word. That even under persecution, 
you can't stop the message of Jesus. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop the good news from spreading. Because we read in the very next verse, verse 4, that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Two weeks ago, we began a series called As You Go, looking at the commission that Jesus gave his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. And if you were with us two weeks ago, you might remember that the word go communicates a continuous action, that wherever we go in life, that we can make disciples. And this is exactly what we see the followers of Jesus doing in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. That as they went, wherever they went, as they lived their lives and, and interacted with people, they preached the word. They preached the word. You know, this phrase, preach the word, means that they shared the good news often referred to as the gospel, the, the good news that even though we have all sinned and fall short of God's perfection, which causes us to deserve death, that Jesus took our place in death. Simply stated, Jesus died so that we can live, so that we can live the life that God created us to live, both now and for eternity. So in week one of, of the series, we looked at what it means to go, to represent our faith in Jesus in every area of our lives as we go along in life. And we asked the question, how are we personally on mission? How are we personally on mission to reach the unreached? Because we all know people who are not walking with Christ, every single one of us. And we are the best way to reach those people. We can't hide behind the programs of the church we need to go because we are, the, we are the best way to connect with them. And then last week, Pastor Wayne taught us what it means to make disciples, to connect with people and to invite them to explore faith in Jesus for themselves. And we asked everyone to identify two people in your life, identify two people who you can pray for, who you can invest in, and who you can invite to begin a journey of faith. Not as a project, but as a friend, someone who you care about, someone who you can get to know them and, and begin conversations and take a, a real interest in, in their lives and, and hear their story, someone who you can serve, someone who you can, who you can invest in and show that you care. And then when God opens up the opportunity at the right time, as you've had a chance to hear their story, you can share your story and how God has changed your story. You can share your story of faith and you can invite others to begin a journey of faith as well. And I need to say that I am really, really proud of you guys. I'm really proud of you. I've had an opportunity over the last couple of weeks to talk to a number of you and you've shared with me who you are praying for, who you are investing in and inviting. And I know that it's hard. It's, it, it's difficult. Um, this last, uh, this last Wednesday, I was at Fun Night in the Park, and uh, I was standing around with a, a number of other people, and we were talking and just really enjoying the evening. And uh, then a few of the people left to go get in line for food. And after they had uh, left and, and gone a few steps away, the other people standing in the circle said, those are our two people. Those are the people that God has placed on our heart uh, to pray for and invest and invite. And you need to know that, that we as pastors, we are wrestling through this as well. I mean, I really wrestled uh, a few weeks ago when I knew that this was coming. I wrestled with who, who I was going to pray for. Who am I going to invest in? And, and God kept bringing me back to the names 
of a family that live uh, in our neighborhood, our, our neighbors. And uh, this is just a great family. We love them. We've known them for a few years. But for one reason or another, they just are, are not involved in the things of God. They, they just aren't interested. They're really, really nice people. But one of the reasons that I hesitated to, uh, to commit to reaching this family is that they're supposed to move. And I kept thinking, I, I don't know if I have enough time, God. And, and so the conversation went, God, you know, I don't think I have enough time to reach this family. And he said, no, I, I want you to, to commit to reaching them. And so I finally decided, okay, God, I'm going to submit. I'm, I'm going to commit. And, and whatever involvement you allow me to have, whatever time I have, I'm going to do the best I can with, with what I've got. I'm not going to force anything, but, but God, bring me an opportunity. Open a door. And then the next day, there was a knock at our front door. And uh, I opened it, and it was them. And they said, hey, BJ, we wanted to let you know that uh, we decided not to move. We're, we're going to stay here another year. So God's given me more time. That's great. And uh, it's my prayer that as you are praying for people, that as, as you are investing in people, that God is already working in, in supernatural ways to open up doors for you, to give you opportunities. And in all of this, it's good to remember that we are only responsible, we're only faithful to help people take steps. Pastor Wayne last week reminded us um, that we're helping people take steps closer to Jesus. And it's not like we have to get people from zero to 100 ourselves. Rather, we're helping people grow closer to Jesus one step at a time. And so when you pray for someone, you, when you commit to pray, that's a win. That is a step because now you are praying for them and, and God is honoring and hearing your prayers and opening up doors. When you invest in someone, when, when you build that relationship and, and get to know someone, that is a win. That's a win because you're, you're, you're showing them what it means to, to, to live out your faith. You're, you're showing them, um, you're, you're building trust and, and showing that, that you care. And that, that's a win. Even if you never get to have a conversation of faith, just investing is a win. Helping somebody pick up their trash can, that's a win. But when you do have that opportunity to have the conversation and talk about the things of faith, even if they don't respond right then, even if you say, this is who I am, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and they say, eh, that's not for me, I, I'm not really into that. That's okay, that's still a win, because you have planted a, a seed of faith in, in their lives, and you don't know what God might do in the years or decades to come. Ultimately, God is the one who changes lives, not us. Well, this week, we want to... Uh, wrap up the series by looking at the last phrase, of all nations. And so if you've been with us for a few weeks, you've come to realize that I don't cover very many words at a time. We're only going to do two, okay? All nations, pretty easy. And uh, traditionally, uh, this phrase of, of all nations has been used to encourage people to do international missions, to go around the world to all the nations of the world. And yet a deeper look at this word, uh, nations, reveals that it actually has a broader meaning. In the original Greek, the word ethne, which is where we get our English word ethnic, um, means people or, or groups of people. And so we, this, this could read, go and make disciples of all people. So while, yes, that does include people in other nations around the world, it also includes people on the other side of the street. Jesus instructed us to go and make disciples 
of all people. Because as we will see today, God cares for all people. So this means it's not our place to decide the type of person who who can or should become a disciple. You know, uh, there's a great parable that illustrates this, and uh, it's called the parable of the sower. And I like gardening. Um, This summer it's been pretty easy because I just had to plant the seed and then stand in my kitchen and watch it rain for three weeks straight. So, um, yeah, my garden's doing awesome. Well, Jesus tells the story of um, a farmer who goes out to scatter seed. And Jesus said that he scattered some seed, and uh, that seed fell on the path. And the birds immediately came down. They ate the seed. It's a free lunch for them and uh, done for. The seeds are done for. Well, he said that the other seed, as he scattered it, fell on rocky soil that was shallow. And so this seed grew and, and the plants grew up. But because the, sh- the soil was shallow and rocky, the, the plants did not have the root that they needed to survive. And so the plants quickly withered and died. Still other seed that was scattered fell on soil that was full of weeds and and thorns. And so those plants grew up, but the weeds and thorns around them choked them out. Well, finally, the rest of the the seed fell on soil that that was fertile and soft. And so that seed grew up into plants that produced a harvest a hundredfold. And Jesus tells us that the seed represents the word of God, the seeds of faith that are planted in the soil of our hearts. Well, traditionally, preachers and teachers have used this parable to illustrate how we should make the soil of our hearts fertile and soft so that the seeds of faith can grow up in us. And while, yes, that's true, this morning, I want us to take our focus off of the soil and instead place it on the sower. What does the sower do? What does he do? He scatters seed everywhere. He scatters it on on the good soil, on the bad soil, even on on the path where there is no soil at all. I mean, I look around the room and I see a number of us who who are involved in gardening or farming. And, you know, you might be thinking, this is not a very effective or efficient use of seed, is it? I mean, we we get this image of the sower going out, the farmer, and just kind of haphazardly throwing seed all over the place. We have to ask the question. I'm almost scared to ask it. Is God a bad farmer? Does God waste seed? Why would God throw seed all over the place? Maybe it's because God is a loving and compassionate father who is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance and turn to him. You see, God has a deep love for all people. You could say God is willing to take a chance on anyone and plant a seed in them. So therefore, as carriers of God's message, as carriers of of the seed, we must be willing to take a chance on people as well. And remember, it's not our job to ensure success, but rather to be faithful in scattering the seed. Because if God cares for all people, then we can care for all people. But unfortunately, there's something that stands in the way of us caring for and reaching all people. 
And to illustrate it, I'm going to need a little bit of crowd participation, okay? So you'll have to wake up. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to put our hands up in the air. All right, put your hands up in the air. We're going to wave them like we just don't care. All right? And uh, on the count of three, we're going to bring our hands down and uh, we're going to put them together like this, okay? A few of you are, I haven't counted three yet, Susan. Don't worry, eight o'clock did that too. So, okay, all right. So we're going to put our hands up in the air. On the count of three, we're going to put our hands together. One, two, three, go. Okay, all right, take a good look at your hands. All right, now we're going to do it again. All right, hands up in the air one more time. One, two, three, go. Okay, and this time I want you to take a good look at your thumbs. Maybe this is the first time you've looked at your thumbs today and you realize, man, I really need to wash my hands. But um, notice which thumb is on top, okay? Notice which thumb is on top and kind of notice the way that your fingers are intertwined, okay? Because this last time we're going to put our hands up one more time. All right, this last time we're going to put up our hands. And this time when we bring our hands together, I want you to bring them together in such a way that the other thumb is on top and your fingers are intertwined the other way, okay? All right, don't think about it too much. Just do it. One, two, three, go. Does that feel weird? Yeah, I saw a number of you go like this. Okay? It feels weird, all right? It feels weird to have the other thumb on top because without even thinking about it, we naturally do the same thing the same way again and again and again. For a lot of us, we've probably put our hands together like this 10,000 times, and we always do it the other way. Let, let, let me illustrate it this way. So a few, uh, few weeks ago, I was uh, sorting through some clothes at my house, and uh, we're getting ready to throw some, some stuff away, and we're going to donate some, some stuff to a garage sale. And so I pulled out a few pairs of jeans uh, that were old, and I, I pulled this pair out, and I thought, eh, it's got a hole in it. You know, Wayne won't let me wear it in the office. So um, I wonder what I can do. I'll tell you what, these will be good fishing jeans, you know, because you want to wear kind of old, grubby clothes when you go fishing, you know. You don't see anybody that walks out, you know, in like freshly ironed, really clean clothes to fish in. That would just look weird. So, um, so I thought, okay, you know, these will be some good, uh, good fishing jeans. So, okay, so I've got those. And I pulled out another pair of jeans. And, uh, hmm, those also, okay. Uh, maybe I can use these for, for gardening or, you know, for painting or something. So, I've got those, and, uh, you know, I pulled out another pair of jeans. And... Does anybody see a pattern here? <laughs> Apparently, my left knee is sharper than my right knee. I don't, <laughs> I was going to say, they look the same to me, but somehow, in the way that I walk or the way that I bend down and pick stuff up or something, my left knee wears out faster than my right knee. I have no idea why. I mean, and it's the way that it's always been, as long as I can remember that's always, that's always the way it's been. If you, if you asked my wife, Mary, if you called my mom, she would say, oh yeah, since he was four, he always wore, anyway. I, I don't know why, but somehow in the regular rhythm, the regular way that I move, I wear out the left side of my, my knee. We are people of habit and rhythm. And we don't like to go outside of that habit or rhythm because it's uncomfortable. It's hard, it's, it's weird. Embracing change is hard, isn't it? So when it comes to making disciples, when it comes to stepping out and, and starting that conversation or talking to someone about faith, it's hard, it's, it's difficult, it's uncomfortable. When left to our own devices, we would just huddle together in our own little group and never associate with people who are outside of ourselves. 
But let me tell you, it's worth the discomfort because Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all people, not just people who are like us. Well, this morning, I want you to meet two of my friends uh, who are living this out. Uh, Lynn and Dory Kazir, um, who are serving right now as missionaries in Kenya. And then you need to know that in uh, 1999, they were sitting right where you're sitting. Actually, Miss Susan, right where you're sitting is where they were when uh, God called them and they felt God's call to live their lives in, in such a way and, and begin looking outside of themselves to reach people who are different than them. So by 2003, they were uh, serving with CMF in Kenya and helping to plant churches and uh, raise up a new generation of, uh, of church leaders. And so first thing I want to ask you guys is, how did you first feel God's call to go and reach people who are different than you? Uh, several years ago when I was in university, I was involved in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship over at the University of Illinois, and uh, I attended the Urbana Missions Conference, and I answered a challenge that Reverend Billy Graham gave. He challenged uh, for people to, that would do anything God called you to do and go anywhere God called you to go, and I said, I'll do that, Lord. I graduated from university, and I really, at that time, I really didn't set it aside, but the longer I was out of university and the longer I kept doing the same thing day after day after day after day, wearing out the same left knee in the same pair of jeans every few months, the further I set that aside. But, you know, when you make a commitment to God, He doesn't set things aside. You can set them aside, but He doesn't set them aside, and He brings them back up again at what seems like, maybe from our perspective, a very inopportune time, not from His perspective. So, 20 years after that, I went with the youth group from here at Decatur First Christian as a chaperone for the middle and high school youth to a Teen Mania Acquire the Fire event in Detroit, Michigan. The speakers, the theme of that conference was about making an eternal difference. The speakers are talking to 50,000 young people about making an eternal difference. I, I sort of heard that. What I really heard was God looking at me and saying, what are you doing to make an eternal difference? You told me 20 years ago that you do thus and so, but you've just been going about your life the same way for 20 years. And so that was a wake-up call. I came home and I asked Dory how she felt she was called to ministry. She used to be on staff here at the church. We talked to other staff at the church and others in ministry, and it kind of went from there. I'll pick that up in a minute, but first, uh, God started dealing with me when I was a little girl, and I uh, loved listening to mission stories and missionary stories, so I've had a heart for that since I was little. So then 15 years ago, oh, the other thing I wanted to say is that God does prepare and equip you for the calling that he has on your life, and he uses all of your experiences uh, to bring it together for when his timing is there. So 15 years ago, I was walking down the aisle here out of the sanctuary with Judy Woods. Um, Gary and Judy are missionaries that the church helps support uh, in Tanzania. And I was talking to Judy, and I said, Judy, I've always kind of wanted to be a missionary. And she looked at me, and her jaw dropped, and she said, Dory, we have an opening on our team 
because she knows Lynn, and he's gifted with these hands, and uh, we need somebody to oversee the construction of church buildings and development projects. And at that point, my heart just about leaped out. It was beating so fast, I couldn't hardly contain myself, and I knew we were going to Kenya. Wow, and the rest is history. That was, that was 12 years ago. So how do you continue to face challenges in reaching people who are different than you? One of the biggest challenges that I face is to, uh, even though we've lived in the culture in Kenya for 12 and a half years, I mean, we were still raised here, and there's different cultural norms, is to not uh, revert to what I would call my, my default way of thinking, my default way of putting my hands together, and looking at people from another culture, uh, or even the people across the street who might be different and say, oh, that's wrong and this is right. Different does not mean right and wrong. Different means different. And, you know, God's created us all to be different. So that's a challenge I face. Another challenge I face is what I call expectational challenge. Uh, the leaders that we work with in Community Christian Church in Kenya uh, they have expectations of how we relate to them, of how we communicate with them, of what we should do, and about what we should do with the money that supporters in the U.S. primarily give. And then we have our supporters in the U.S. who have expectations of uh, how we should relate to them, how we should communicate with them, and how we should spend the financial resources that they give. So there's that challenge. And then the final challenge that uh, for me that becomes more difficult uh, as time goes on, it doesn't get any easier, uh, becomes more difficult. We have a daughter and son-in-law in Dallas. We have a daughter, son-in-law, and her granddaughter in Arkansas. We have a daughter in DeKalb, Illinois. I have two parents in Forsyth. My parents are they're not getting any younger. Their health is not, doesn't seem to be getting any better. And so I'm constantly faced with the question of what's my responsibility to my family on one hand and on the other hand, feeling that God has not released me from what he's called us to do in Kenya. So I have a challenge that's very different from Lynn and that's the fact that I'm a woman in a man's world in Kenya. Yeah, he doesn't have to deal with that. So, <laughs> as, a a <laughs> as a result, I will do, you know, I'm in their culture, so I will act and respect that culture and do as I am to do as a woman in that culture. But the challenge comes when my team and my culture makes me team leader, which is the first time that they have had a woman to deal with as a team leader. So it becomes a challenge for me. It becomes a challenge for them as we work this out together. Yeah. And well, thank you so much, uh, Lynn and Dory, for, uh, for, for joining us. Let's show them some appreciation. And uh, make sure you come back uh, today at 2 p.m. as uh, they're going to be making a presentation um, on just the really, really exciting things that are happening in Kenya as they are uh, raising up a new generation of churches and church leaders. And uh, so that's going to be this afternoon at 2 p.m. And uh, kids are welcome to come. One little carrot. 
is that there will also be ice cream. And so uh, you can, you can uh, come and enjoy that uh, with them. One of the big things that I wanted uh, you all to hear uh, from Lynn and Dory is that, yes, they've made some big changes. They've made some big sacrifices in order to serve in another country. But on some level, we all have to make changes. We all have to make sacrifices to, to reach people who are different than us. Because God desires that all people would come to know him and be saved. I want you to think with me about a, a well-known verse, uh, John 3:16. And what does it say? For God so loved the upper middle class. For God so loved people like me. For God so loved people who are easy to talk to. No. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, the whole world, all people. We read elsewhere in scripture that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whatever their age or ethnicity or income, whatever their personality or, or their social status or, or their, their level of education, no matter what someone's story is or how many bridges they have burnt, God desires that we would go and share the good news of his love with them that they might come back to him. No one, friends, no one is outside God's ability to change. Which brings us back to Saul, who, uh, who we read about earlier today. I want to continue uh, the story of Saul's life, and I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 9. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, meaning those who were following Jesus, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So those who were with him led him by the hand into Damascus. Now in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, who the Lord called in a vision. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And now he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias was like, hey, God, have you heard about this guy? I mean, he's dangerous. I don't want to go talk to him. What might happen to me? And God says, yes, Ananias, I've heard of him. Go, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, 
and he could see again. So he got up and was baptized. This event in Saul's life served as a launch pad to ministry. In fact, his life change was so profound that his name changed from Saul to Paul. And the Apostle Paul went on to become the greatest missionary in the history of the world, spreading the message of Jesus and writing a large portion of the New Testament. But we cannot forget where he came from. At one point, Saul was the least likely person on earth to become a follower of Jesus. Later in his life, uh, Paul reflects upon this conversion, and he says this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, for even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the very worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. God can change anyone. If God can change Saul, and God can change you, and can change me, then God can change anyone. You know, I love hearing the stories of how people uh, come to know Jesus, of how they begin their journey of faith. And I want you to hear the story um, of a guy named Lecrae Moore, who grew up in a rough uh, situation in the inner city, far from Christ. And yet, through the influence of several people who invested in him, who invited him to begin a journey of faith, uh, he came to know Jesus. And he now is, is, is a rapper who is using his platform to share the message of Jesus. Well, several years ago, he spoke to a group of, uh, of church leaders and shared his story. And I want you to hear it this morning. So a little bit about me. I, um, I grew up in a militant household. Um, it's probably like 12 black people out here. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, I grew up in a militant household. Uh, my mother grew up in the civil rights era, and so she was very militant. I uh, read a lot of books by guys who were Black Panthers, the autobiography of Malcolm X, and, and, and people of the like. And my mother wanted me to embrace my ethnicity, uh, my ethnic heritage. Um, she had faced a lot of injustice, and there was a lot of insecurity, and she was trying to build up in me a sense of uh, security, a sense of self-worth and, um, and, and, and who I was. And so she didn't want me to have to face some of the hardships she had faced, and she wanted me to have a different paradigm, a different perspective. And so I grew up uh, embracing this. I, I wore my little Malcolm X hats and my African medallions and, and tried to embrace that cultural heritage. But regardless, I still felt a sense of inferiority. Uh, regardless, I still felt uh, like I was lesser than, just because the world around me was, was, was telling me this in so many different ways. And so because of that, there was a sense of resentment in me toward the majority, toward white people. It's not here anymore. Jesus changed me. It's cool. We cool. <laughs> we cool. Um, but the reality was I, I had a, a feeling internally that I didn't need you, that I was better off without you, um, that, that I could do this on my own. And I wanted really nothing to do with white people. I didn't have any white friends, and, and I felt like that was okay. I felt like I was fine. And then comes Joe. Enter Joe. Joe is a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white dude from the University of Kentucky who likes kayaking. 
I couldn't even spell kayaking at the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this guy likes kayaking, right? And so here's Joe, and Joe had really never had any kind of strong relationships with uh, people like myself. He grew up with his biological father. He wasn't from the hood, and uh, he never seen boys in the hood, which I thought was a, a tragedy. <laughs> you know, so, you know, here's Joe. Joe's not a hip-hop fan at all, but, but Joe was determined to make the gospel known. Joe was determined to, to, to pour his life into others, and, and I was one of those people that he was determined to get with. And so Joe could have easily found a ministry in some uh, majorly uh, white church or congregation, but he decided to, to go serve in an urban ministry. He decided to go spend his time there. And I was blown away at this guy's persistence. You know, day in and day out, he's sitting there, and I'm just like, what do you want? What are you doing? Why are you bothering me? But, but he cared about me, and, 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 and he, was, he was enamored with my world, and he wanted to know more about it. And, and he started asking me questions about the music I listened to and why I listened to it. And, and one day he sat down and watched Boys in the Hood with me, and he was okay after that. <laughs> and so I, I was blown away um, that I wasn't his pet project, that I was his friend that I was somebody he cared about, that uh, he didn't approach me like some pitiful black kid who needs needed to be met. You know, I, I was a person who needed to grow, and Joe saw that he could pour into me. He saw that the scriptures could develop my life, and, and the culture didn't dictate our relationship to him. So here's a man um, who has won multiple Grammy Awards. His music... Um, has been heard by millions of people around the world. And he's led the way in forming an entire movement of Christian hip-hop, which is reaching the lives of thousands of people in the urban context. Yet before he could do any of that, someone had to reach him. Someone had to reach him. You know, I like to think of people as spiritual dominoes. That God has placed each of us strategically with an important role to play. And he simply asks us to be faithful in the time and the place where he has put us. And when we are faithful, when we are faithful to invest in the lives of others, when we are faithful to, to sow the seeds of faith in other people's lives, even if it means insignificant to us, God uses that faithfulness to do spectacular things to change the world. I think about a man named Ed Kimball, and you've probably never heard of Ed Kimball. Uh, he's a guy that lived back in the 1800s. I had to look for a really long time to find a picture of him, and I don't know if that's really him. I just, I thought, oh, I don't know any different, so there's a picture of someone, hopefully Ed Kimball. Um, anyway, so uh, Ed lived back during, the, back during the 1800s, insignificant guy, and he felt called to teach Sunday school. And so he began teaching Sunday school to this small group of teenage boys. And uh, Ed was just a regular person. In fact, he tried several, on several occasions to stop teaching Sunday school. He's like, I'm not a good Sunday school teacher. The boys aren't listening to me. I'm going to stop. But he felt God calling him to continually, faithfully teach Sunday school. So he did. Well, one of the boys in his class grabbed on to the message of Christ and his life was changed. That boy grew up and felt inspired to preach. That boy's name was Dwight L. Moody. 
And Moody went on to become one of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century. From Moody, there was a direct domino effect through several people that led to another young man coming to know Christ named Billy Graham. And apparently we, we learned this morning that as Billy Graham preached, he reached another young man named Lynn Kazeer. And we, we, know, we know that Billy Graham reached millions of people uh, around the world. You know, Ed Kimball never did anything significant, but God used his faithfulness. Friends, there is no such thing as an insignificant Christian. You and I may not be a D.L. Moody. We may not be a Billy Graham. But what we do, what God has entrusted us with to plant the seeds of faith in others, has the power to change the world. If God can use a white kayaker from Kentucky, if God can use a former persecutor of the church, if God can use a humble Sunday school teacher, then God can use you and me to reach people, even if they're different than us, even if it's uncomfortable, God can use us. Our job is to scatter the seed. Our job is to be faithful. Every one of us needs to understand clearly why we are on this earth. It's not so we can just raise our families and enjoy life. We have a mission, a calling to join with God. Every day we should ask ourselves, how can I serve Christ and invite others to follow him as I go? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you challenge us. God, you challenge us to do things that on our own we would never, ever choose to do or be able to do. And yet, Lord, it is in those challenges where we fall desperately, desperately short that you work your amazing grace. Lord, that you fill those gaps, that you give us the words to say, that you open up doors of opportunities. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you are challenging the people in this room. Lord, that you're challenging me. Lord, challenge us to do things outside of what's comfortable. That as we go in life, Lord, that you would provide opportunities to share the good news of your son and that we would take those opportunities, Lord. God, empower us and inspire us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.